We need to view trash as something that isn't disposable, but something that we put out into the world and we feel good about where it is going or what it's getting turned into. Welcome, neighbors, to Hometown Earth, the podcast that brings a down-to-earth approach to all of your sustainability questions. I'm your host, Lena Sanford, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here, we believe that everyone can change the world. Do you believe? I'm a Midwest gal with big dreams to discover what it takes to reduce my impact on this beautiful place we call Hometown Earth. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate what actions we can take, big or small, to make a positive impact in your life and the lives of your neighbors on Hometown Earth. Hello, neighbors. Today, we're going to talk trash. Not the gossiping kind of trash, but real, actual trash. A brief overview on the evolution of trash, to be exact. A lot of the modern conveniences we often take for granted have a long history. And although there is a technical difference between garbage, trash, and waste, I'm going to use them interchangeably in this episode, you know, just to make things easy for me. (laughs) But I have some questions for you. Do you pay attention to how much you throw away? Or when you do throw something away, have you ever thought about what life was like before there was the privilege of having a trash can on almost every corner or turn in a building, or in most cases in America, one in almost every room. Although you may or may not personally think about your trash, it's something that is widely discussed today. What's the best way to dispose of it? How can it be recycled or composted? Or is it bound for a landfill? What are its impacts on human and planetary health? But are we the only ones who have been trash talking or has the problem of how to effectively handle our garbage been an issue throughout time? How did everyone that came before us deal with their trash and how did that bring us to the still imperfect systems that we have now? Waste management has always been a critical piece of humankind's puzzle and the methods we use to dispose of our trash have a huge impact on our communities, soil, air, water, and our economy. Even with the multitude of trash cans and recycling at our fingertips, we still are dealing with litter and trash in areas where it just shouldn't be. In this episode, I want to take a look at our past and present to help us to better understand waste so we can shift our perception of it for a better future. So I ask you to take a journey with me to the Stone Age. Yep, we're going back that far. Then what Homo sapiens ate, used, and subsequently discarded largely gave back to the earth through decomposition since they didn't have the means for creating things that weren't made from the earth. Their clothes and shelter were made of animal hide and things forged from the land. During that time, people were nomads. There were no permanent settlements to worry about trash piling up and having to deal with it. By the time they got back around to it, nature had already done its thing. So leaving waste as they went was never an issue. That was until about 10,000 BC when the earliest humans found that they could farm and herd animals. So they settled down into villages, which became towns, which became cities. And by settling down and producing more waste in one place, 
the problems with what to do with our trash began. Around 5000 to 4000 BC, we find ourselves at the rise of Mesopotamia, the first urban civilization. Mesopotamia, as you may think of it, was known for its prosperity and history and the development of the first written language, and subsequently literature, math, and astronomy, and many other inventions like the wheel. But your image may not have included the fact that the landscape of Mesopotamia was largely made up of trash. In fact, they would pile up trash in the streets, which would gradually raise the levels of the road. It is said that every once in a while, they would put a new layer of clay on the road over the trash so people would have to build stairs down to their home or even build new doors that were at the level of the street. They did have large dumping locations, with one of the largest being seven and a half acres long and seven meters deep. But it was unsure of how all of the trash made it to one place, since they didn't have official municipal waste systems. And let's tack on to this that there was the issue of physical trash, like the unused urn for your oil, along with human waste and wastewater that they usually dumped into their water systems or onto the street as well. Can you imagine the smell on their morning strolls? The first official rudimentary landfills are said to have existed for over 5,000 years. In Gnosis Crete, around 3000 BC, archaeological evidence show that there are large dirt pits where citizens would fill until full of their trash and then cover them up with dirt. This actually made sense to do back then, but it wasn't regulated or widely adopted. Finally, in 500 BC, Athens, Greece established the first municipal dump and created laws about their trash. They required garbage to be thrown away at least one mile from the city walls. They also established a law that made it illegal to throw garbage onto the streets. And as the clean freak that I am, I would be so stoked about that. And the Romans around this time built the first sewer systems to move their waste into the Tiber River. They were actually really proud of it and named it Cloaca Maxima, which means greatest sewer. And it is still being used today. In 200 AD, the Romans designed the first official sanitation organization where they would send groups of two to pick up trash from the streets. Now, continuing on our little magic carpet ride across time and space, we can see Monte Testaccio, a famous mound in Rome. It is composed of the accumulation of trash in the Tiber floodplain, constructed almost wholly from the fragments of nearly 25 million clay amphora, the vessels that they used to carry oil during the Renaissance period. Later on, Rome used these shards of clay as a quarry for road construction and even to construct the vaulted ceilings of St. Peter's Basilica. Monte Testaccio is still visible today. Situated in one of the trendiest neighborhoods in Rome, surrounded by hip restaurants and nightclubs, and archaeologists are still using the trash that they find there to gain more information about the culture during that time. For the most part, though, people lived with their trash. It was prevalent no matter what they did with it, for lack of trying or otherwise. 
they used it, reused it at some point, or piled it in areas where people could still see the impacts of their waste. Pompeii is an interesting example of how different cultures used to deal with trash. Archaeologist Allison Emerson found that instead of the out-of-sight, out-of-mind methods that we use today, the people of Pompeii lived among their trash and would collect it in piles and sort it for recycling or reuse. We know this because preserved trash was discovered outside of the walls of the city and even piled into the public burial tombs that were located throughout the streets. It is suggested that their perception of trash was just different than ours, not that they were unorganized or didn't know how to deal with it. But they weren't the first to reuse or recycle. Dating back to 2000 BC, China developed methods of composting and recycling things like bronze for future use. And in the year 1031, Japan had the first recorded instances of paper recycling to maximize output and save resources. People throughout time reused materials due to lack of resources and the long process it took to create something new. Fast forward to the Middle Ages, and people were still struggling to manage their waste effectively. People threw garbage in the streets. They even had pigs eat the waste, which inevitably caused them to fall ill. And with waste, there came rats, which caused devastation like the bubonic plague, otherwise known as the Black Plague, which killed 25 million people in just five years. It was then that you see the implementation of laws that prevent people from dumping their waste in public waterways and streets. In Britain, they implemented laws to have people keep their trash inside until people they deemed rakers picked it up weekly and put it into a cart for disposal, forging the way for waste management workers as we know them today. But even with new measures, most people generally would burn, dispose of their trash by dumping it nearby or in waterways, or just let it pile up. It wasn't until the period between the 16th and 19th centuries in Europe when the modern age of sanitation began, and people started to worry about public health and cleanliness because of the overwhelming amounts of trash. There were still issues in England going on around mass scavenging and unsanitary urban conditions due to the trash, which was spreading cholera and typhus. Coal production increased, which is why scavenging of waste increased. There were dustmen who would sell anything, including discarded ashes and things I don't even want to mention, just to make a buck. So to clean things up, they implemented the first concept of a movable garage receptacle, where you would store ash and waste and it was picked up weekly. And you'd even be charged if your bin was empty. Now, coming across to America, we finally started implementing some changes. In 1654, New Amsterdam, now New York City, made it illegal to throw their trash into the streets. In 1757, the first American municipal street cleaning operation was started by Benjamin Franklin in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he encouraged people to dig pits for their trash. With the boom of the Industrial Revolution in the late 1700s, there was a huge uptick in garbage. We started to produce synthetic materials that couldn't be decomposed. 
things like plastic, paper, and even some metals. Mass production meant that people could buy the next best thing at a cheaper price. Out with the old, in with the new. Trash dumping continued to be popular in America. That was until 1864, when health officials connected the spread of yellow fever in Memphis, Tennessee, with massive garbage piles throughout the city. This outbreak killed 20,000 people. So laws were enacted for residents to take their garbage to specific locations on the outskirts of town, and trash dumping wasn't allowed on the streets. And remember those pigs I talked about cleaning up the streets? Even up until the late 19th century, early 20th century, you could find piggeries across the U.S., like the biggest one in Worcester, Massachusetts, that would let pigs by the thousands roam around to consume up to 10 tons of waste daily. Now, you'd think we would have learned this isn't a great idea for people or pigs, but we didn't. The pigs started to foul up the water sources, and they even died themselves from foodborne illnesses. Needless to say that eventually, this process ended, and we made the shift towards sanitary landfills and incinerators that had been developed at the end of the 19th century in London. We also finally picked up the use of garbage bins. But things just stayed the same for a while, and we were mostly just dumping where we could. It is said that the amount of packaging produced and disposed of increased 67% after World War II, and we officially became known as a throwaway society. The EPA says that from 1946 to 1970, we dumped almost 89,000 containers of radioactive wastes into our oceans. Like, are you kidding me? And to make matters worse, we then saw a boom in plastic use in the 1960s and on. And in 1965, the Solid Waste Disposal Act was passed to promote healthier and better technologies and implement regulations for municipal and industrial waste systems. That was followed by the Clean Air Act that was passed in the U.S. in 1970 to regulate air conditions. Now, this shut down incinerators without air pollution controls, but we still use incinerators today, and 23 states in the U.S., classify incineration of trash as renewable. However, the Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives say that three to five times more energy can be saved through alternative strategies such as waste prevention, reuse, recycling, and composting than can be generated by burning. And these incinerators are located in areas that are disproportionately made up of low-income people of color, making the air toxic for people in those areas. Our systems haven't been perfect, and they still aren't. But through exploring the past, we can see how waste plays such a big role in the development and quality of our lives. It gives us perspective on how we have managed trash or not managed trash at all, its effects, and how we can evolve to use it in the future. Looking at our history and comparing it to where we are now show the desperate need for us to invest in new, better technology and use our capital to create infrastructures to support true zero-waste goals. Trash isn't history. 
We are accumulating it at a rate that we can't effectively handle without massive action. Just as Mesopotamia saw the waste issues that came with an increase in concentrated population, we are seeing that all over the world today. Every year, we are generating 1.3 billion tons and counting of waste on this planet that is then dumped onto landsites or oceans. The thought of living with your and others' trash isn't just an idea, but a reality for a lot of people across this world. World Bank says that more than half of the world's population does not have access to regular trash collection, and unregulated or illegal dump sites serve about 4 billion people and hold over 40% of the world's waste. And the World Health Organization says that 2 billion people still don't have basic sanitation facilities, such as toilets or latrines. Even in LA, there have been past concerns of another bubonic plague outbreak due to the large mounds of trash that littered the streets, giving eerie flashbacks to the Black Plague and how we are still at risk because of waste mismanagement. We still have a long way to go in managing our waste effectively and getting to a zero-waste circular economy can help us live on hometown earth more harmoniously. Trash and recycling as we know it today have recently changed due to China banning imports of mixed paper and plastic and heavily restricted other scraps. Because for years, we have shipped the world's plastic bottles and boxes to China. The Wall Street Journal reported that since 1992, China has imported 45% of the world's plastic waste. Now we're having to come to terms with finding alternatives other than just sending our trash off to another country. And some countries are dropping the recycling programs altogether. But there is a silver lining here, because don't we all love a silver lining? It's that we do have the technology, intelligence, and wherewithal to do better. You know, our garbage truck and incinerator technology have dramatically improved, but those should be the last option. We can't take our magic carpet far into the future to see what the best solution is, but we can look to countries that are innovative in trash management today and build recycling into their values. Germany is the first example. They created a revolutionary green dot dual recycling system, which led to the recycling rates rising from only 3% in 1991 to 56.1% in 2016. The way it works is that manufacturers and retailers have to pay for a green dot on their products, covering the recovery and recycling of it. So the more packaging there is on a product, the higher the fee is. So as you can guess, companies started to get pretty creative with less packaging and paper. This process also puts emphasis on the citizens to dispose of the recycling in the correct bin that is parallel to existing municipal bins. Japan is the second example. Japan didn't adopt sewage systems and waste management controls until the end of the 1800s, but they are one of the most advanced countries in the world when it comes to zero waste. They even made the Olympic medals out of recycled materials. Again, citizens use rigorous separation methods, and there is an intricate recycling pickup system. 
As a culture, they valued saving and reusing resources to keep things healthy and efficient. The third example might surprise you, and it is Taiwan. I love this example because Taiwan had the nickname Garbage Island. In the 90s, they were overrun by a booming economy and growing consumption and only collected about 70% of its trash, littering or burning off the rest. Through community outcries, they were able to implement new structures of recycling, structures that support multiple trash and recycling pickups daily, where they help you to sort your recycling. They also have pay-as-you-throw-away bags, smart recycling booths that add value to your mass transit cards when you recycle, inventive ways of reuse and recycling, and potential fines for improperly disposing of your trash. Their waste rates are down, recycling rates are up, and now their incinerators are running below capacity. They say it's a question of will, not way, that made the change work. And as you can see, there's a common thread that runs through these examples. Responsibility and will. Whether it is the individual or the business, we all share a collective responsibility to do our part, and we have to be willing to step up and take the time to do it right. We need to face our waste head on. I'm not suggesting that we go back to piling waste up in our corners of our homes or the streets, but there is something to be said about the way we are careless with our trash, and we need to take responsibility for it as our own, making sure that it doesn't just go out of our door and turn into someone else's problem. We need to view trash as something that isn't disposable, but something that we put out into the world and we feel good about where it is going or what it's getting turned into. So on this week's Something to Grow On, I want you to consider what taking responsibility for trash means to you. Is it facing your trash consumption and implementing a plan to do your part? Is it taking the time to contact your local government recycling to make sure that you're doing it properly? Or is it going to a city council meeting and requesting further recycling measures or municipal composting. It might be picking up trash once a day for a week to see how much you collect. Maybe it's only buying from companies with recyclable materials or not buying anything new at all. Or you know, maybe it is waiting an extra week to take your trash out and see what spending time with your waste makes you realize. Consider what taking responsibility for your trash means to you and take action. Richard Rogers said, the only way forward if we're going to improve the quality of the environment is to get everybody involved. And I am glad we're doing it all together. Thanks so much for joining me and I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hometown Earth as much as I did. Let us know by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every week on Tuesday. Head to the show notes linked in the episode description for more details. And let us know in the comments what you want to hear next. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can find more about the podcast on Instagram at Hometown Earth or connect with me personally personally at Lena Sainford. We all know change needs to happen. So let's get started right here at Hometown Earth. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.